0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Louis Sandoval. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Always happy to be with our Catholic audience. And the question for today is How's Lenten going? How is the beginning of Lent? Did we start it off okay? Have we already broken our Lenten promise or the sacrifice or whatever it is that we were going to give up during Lent? Has that already fallen by the wayside, even though we're so early on in the first week here of Lent. Um, It happens, folks. It happens. All it is is really a gauge of where are we at? But there's something very curious to understand about Lent and to understand about any time we start to um, head down the path to get closer to Christ, to become better Christians, better Catholics, uh, and to really head down that path towards saying, hey, I want to do what's right in the eyes of God, not in the eyes eyes of man. I'm going to start a 40-day fast. I'm going to start a 40-day preparation for Easter. Well, guess what's going to happen, folks? The very first thing that's going to happen to us is the same thing that happened to Christ, and we're going to look into that as soon as we get the show started here after the Angelus. Let's start with the Angelus here at the top of the noon hour, like we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel May by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same christ our lord amen saint michael the archangel defend us in battle be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil may god rebuke him we humbly pray and do thou O prince of the heavenly host by the power of god cast into hell satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world seeking the ruin of souls amen in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen you know folks whenever we start something new let's just consider something like a business venture whenever we start something new a business venture and we think man we're going to do this right we're gonna you know i've had friends who wanted to start marketing their products or that they had a solution to something and they thought this is going to be a great business we're going to make a lot of money and we're going to sell this product and it's just going to be amazing um And these things happen, right? And the first thing that they tell you if you talk to anybody who's been successful in companies is if you're going to start a business or you're going to start a new venture, uh, they say believe in yourself and don't listen to the naysayers. What are the naysayers or who are the naysayers? Naysayers are the people who, once you start something, tell you, you know what, that's kind of hard. Or why don't you come over here and do it differently? Or don't do that. I mean, and this happens all the time. Happens all the time if you think about it. Even in New Year's, how many have, how many people, every New Year's, you know, the most popular um, uh, New Year's resolution is, hey, we're going to get into great physical shape, so I'm going to exercise this year is going to be different, I'm going to be healthy. It's a very common, common uh, New Year's resolution. And how many times do we have friends who you say, no, I got to go to the gym and they say, oh, come on, go tomorrow, tonight, I really need to talk to you. Let's go grab a coffee and, and a pastry, let's go get a piece of pie. Come on, I really need to talk to you, let's go do this instead. And... They don't really understand that you're saying, no, 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 this is my my New Year's resolution, which means that I'm going to have to give up certain things. If I'm going to stick to something, I'm going to have to give up certain things. But all these little things come by the wayside, or people will tell you, oh, you know, gosh, that's too hard a resolution. Don't, It's going to be too, I don't know, that's too much. Are you sure you want to do that? I don't know. I've heard other people start that same resolution as you, whether it be, I'm going to be nicer to people who aren't nice to me or whatnot. Ah, it doesn't really seem to you know, work for them. I don't know that it'll work for you. Those are the naysayers. Those are the people who aren't going to support you in your resolution. Well, Lent is very much the same way. You know, we do, we always say, oh, what are we going to give it for Lent? Really what we could call it is a Lenten resolution, right? Just like the New Year's. Hey, I'm going to improve this in my life. Well, the New Year, we usually think about physical things, right? This is the New Year, um, the old year ended, New Year's Eve, it's New Year's. And what am I going to do differently in my life this year? Well, when it comes to Lent, it's a little different now all of a sudden we have a lenten um we make lenten promises sacrifices whatever you want to call it but really what we should call it is a lenten resolution what am i going to do this lent that's going to be different from my spiritual life so a lot of people say hey i'm going to give up chocolate because it's that's a tough sacrifice okay but i would ask them well how's giving up chocolate going to improve your spiritual life what is it that how is that going to prepare you For Easter and really thinking about the resurrection and really thinking about, you know, new life in heaven. How is this going to help me be a better Catholic and make sure that I do make it to heaven? So those are the first things you want to ask yourself. But as we go down this road, there's going to be interesting things that happen. All of a sudden we have our resolution. And the very first thing is we're going to have naysayers. And the very first naysayer sometimes is ourselves. Sometimes we start the resolution and we want to start to do something, and we say, Yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. But then we either get lazy, we feel it's too hard. We say, Oh, you know, I already messed up once uh, and I didn't follow my resolution. Eh, It's over, forget it. And then we just kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say. Well, that's something to consider. So we're starting Lent, we're a weekend. The reality is, if we made a resolution, uh during Lent if we made a Lenten promise or a Lenten sacrifice as we start the Lenten season we start to follow through with it or not follow through with it it's not necessarily a time to give up and say well you know there goes my Lenten sacrifice in case I broke it or I didn't keep it it's a great time to start to one re it and say well is this realistic is this really going to get me to heaven is this really that important? If I were to ask myself, let's say my resolution, which I'll share my resolution, my resolution is to read a little bit more of the Gospels every day. Okay. So, and I'm going to pick a different gospel every day. It doesn't have to be in order. What I said to myself is just open it and see what it does for you. Almost like a Divina, if you don't know what Alexio Lectio Divina is. Lectio Divina is you open the Bible, you take a passage and you sit with it and you understand the passage for what it is then you ask yourself well what does this passage have to do for me in my life what does it mean for the church and you sit with that passage all day long and you just meditate on it all day long it's a really deep meditation Um, learned it when i was in seminary with the benedictine monks uh, uh, very deep meditation very good way to do it i wasn't going to do it that intensely because i had to be realistic right so i had to say Am I going to be able to all day long sit here with this passage and really think about it throughout my day? Well, my day is a little bit different. It gets broken up differently as I am treating patients, as I am uh, doing office work. So many things get broken up. So what I told myself was, I'm going to start at the beginning of the day with a Bible, with a biblical passage from the gospel. So a gospel passage, I'm going to sit with it a little bit in the morning, and then I'm going to come back to it at the end of the workday and read it again. So that's the resolution. I wanted it to be realistic. Let's say I had said, you know, gosh, I'm going to sit here with it all day long. I'm going to meditate on it. And I saw that that's not possible or I didn't do it. I could easily say, well, forget about it. I'm just, this is not a good resolution. I'm just not going to do it. Or I could say, hey, let's reevaluate it the way I did. I reevaluated it before we even started because uh, I figured what's realistic. I got to be realistic about it. Let's reevaluate it. I wasn't able to meditate on it the whole day. Maybe at the beginning of the day, at the end of the workday. Um, It's a good way to move forward. I think that that's pretty, uh, that was reasonable for me. I can't tell you what your resolution is or what it's not. But the first thing I want to tell people, I see this all the time is believe in yourself, believe in your resolution, believe in whatever it is you feel you want to change or add to your life in order to feel like, hey, this was a good Lent. And I really prepared myself to follow the tenets and the rules of the catholic church maybe i need to read the catechism a little bit and say hey what are the rules of the church what is it that i'm following or not following or what don't i agree i agree with with the church and i look in there and i say you know what i really don't agree with these things in the catechism i gotta ask myself why these are the tenets of the faith i can't disagree with them necessarily and say that i'm a practicing catholic i can say hey i struggle with it i don't understand it or heck i could even say i don't disagree with it but i follow through with it because that's what it means to be a catholic i can't pick and choose you know in today's day and age we call it cafeteria catholic oh i want to pick this and i don't like that and i'm going to just kind of pick and choose what i want from the catholic faith and that's how i'm going to live my catholicism well that's not the way to go Because if we're going to be Catholic, this isn't uh, politics, it's not a political party, it's not something I get to vote on. These are the tenets of the faith that we believe that Jesus Christ himself left with the apostles uh, and have been handed down generation after generation through the apostles, which are our bishops, uh, and through our priests, of course, who are supposed to teach us the tenets of the faith. It's that simple. Uh, The Catholic Church doesn't have to apologize to anybody for uh, the tenets of our faith or for what we believe it is what it is, and we don't have to explain ourselves necessarily either. If people want to understand what the faith is, understand uh, what we teach to be true and what we believe to be true as handed down by Christ himself, read the catechism. It's all in there. So if your resolution is to say, I want to be a better Catholic, but I don't even know what the tenets of my faith are, that could be a good resolution. Maybe I'm going to read a little bit about the Catechism every day and see how if I'm applying that to my life if I am truly living out a Catholic faith. Can I challenge it? Sure, I can challenge it. I can ask myself, well why is this like uh, why does the church say this or why does it say that? but I got to go back to realize that the the catechism of the Catholic Church and the tenets of the faith of the Catholic Church are not something that came up <clears throat> last year or two years ago. Uh, this has been around for two thousand years and the reality is it's not something that we're going to vote on it's something that that's how it is and we have to learn to either accept it or not accept it but the first thing is during our lenten season as we start our resolutions we have to ask ourselves how am i limiting myself am i my own worst enemy in this case am i my own naysayer no we got to move forward and we got to say hey you know what if it didn't start working out right now how can i adjust it how can i make it better how can i improve myself during these 40 days more on lent after the break all right folks welcome back to bird and most powerful radio you are listening to the dr Dr. louis sandoval show and today on our show we are talking about hey what's going to happen when we embark on our lenten journey and i was talking about hey once we have our lenten resolution once we make a decision for ourselves as to, hey, I'm going to improve this way spiritually. I'm going to become a better Catholic. I'm going to either give something up or start to improve something in my uh, life, change something in my life to be a better Catholic. We're going to get the naysayers. We're going to get the people who say, Mm -mm. No, that's not going to work or very subtly and slowly, not maybe on purpose, people with the best of intentions who are kind of going to guide us away from that. You know, imagine that you said, gosh, this Lenten season, what I'm going to do is I notice that I talk about people or I gossip about people. You know, if that's you. That's okay. You're in good company. I know plenty of people who (laughs) like to talk about other people. We call it gossip. Right. And we call it just spreading rumors. Um, sometimes but that happens as part of our human nature unfortunately you know I'm not here to condemn it in a sense or condemn anyone who's doing that we're going to condemn the act not the person uh, but let's say that somebody decided gosh I'm going to start a, a resolution where I'm going to start doing i stop doing that I notice that I talk about people or something and once I get started on there boy I could be my own worst enemy right so I could say but I've got this really important thing you know I'll make an excuse and an exemption this time and and i'm gonna have to share this about that person because this other person really needs to know about it um uh, because let me think about why i'm not sure boy it's so tempting i really want to get ahead and go ahead and do that the reality is i just want to gossip what happens if i don't gossip what happens if i don't share this piece of information are we better off in the world is that person going to do anything wrong um is somebody going to die uh, probably not you know more than likely uh, if it's a matter of life or death obviously it's not gossip at that point you know as psychiatrists people come to me all the time and then they say gosh i think i want to end my life i have to report that i have to help them through that i have to see where you at in that process of if you want to end your life um because that's a, a challenging uh situation to be in and that's no longer gossip oh please dr sandoval don't tell anybody no i got to share that with people uh you know that's very important to share because it's a matter of life or death but Other than that, if you come and tell me that, you know, I've had uh, patients come and tell me that they're having affairs or whatnot, just like a priest in confession, I can't share that under the seal of confidentiality from Dr. Patient Confidentiality, but I got to guide them through it and say, hey, what do you want to do about this? I could easily say, well, I better call their spouse or I better do something. That's not my place to be there. That wouldn't be good. Now, that wouldn't be gossip because I'd be sharing the truth that's even harder uh, to hold back sometimes because I know exactly what's going on um, and I can't do that. I can't make excuses for myself. So that's one of the first things that we do. I think if, if we're going to be our own naysayers, uh, then, you know, we start to make a lot of excuses and it's good to just reevaluate that, ask ourselves where we're at and, you know, is our one-term resolution going to get me closer to heaven or not? Do I need to reevaluate it? Was I too harsh? It's never bad to just shift gears in the middle of Lent and say, I'm gonna adjust it so that it's something doable because I wanna get there. It's like a workout. My workout is too strenuous and I'm hurting myself. That's no good. I gotta readjust my workout and make sure that I'm stretching first and that I can adjust it to, yeah, so that it's a little bit painful, gain strength, but then I can move forward with it and, and be on top of it. All right that's the first naysayers ourselves what about our friends what about other people what are they going to say for us you know there and by other people really sometimes it's our friends sometimes it's just the world so who are going to be the naysayers it's going to be the world the flesh and the devil right that's all that's always how it is and that's what we're going to go down here as we continue down the show the first one was the flesh which is ourselves our own temptations our own ideas our own things that aren't influenced by anybody else just our thoughts then it's the world the world's going to tell us you know you don't have to make that sacrifice, so that's too harsh. You know, you, we sit down, and if we're watching TV or listening to the radio, and we hear a commercial or see a commercial or something, and we see that, you know, this Friday, there's going to be a special on hamburgers. Oh, my goodness. Well, as Catholics, we realize that we can't have a hamburger during Fridays of Lent. That's a big no-no, right? No, it's a time to sacrifice and to say we're not going to eat meat for a reason. We're not going to eat meat because we're going to challenge the flesh. I can eat all the fish I want, just not the meat. Well, that can be hard for people. Why is it that, that that burger or that that piece of steak sounds the best on a Friday during Lent and not any other time of the season? You know, you got to ask ourselves that Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, not as tempting. But boy, Friday, we know that we're supposed to stick to that one no matter what. And boy, it, it sure sounds different, right? We start to see the world out there. We have friends who say, oh, let's do this. I still remember when we were in high school and uh, there was this whole uh, um, big deal about gosh, they were going to have a dance or something. And they didn't realize it was a Friday in Lent. They reserved a barbecue place of all things uh, for that Friday in Lent for the school to go out and do a school event. Um, And the school, you know, most of the kids were like, no, it's Friday in Lent. We kind of got to hold fast to that. And even the priest at the school was saying, "Uh, no, you know, gosh, you can fast a different day. Why don't you do it another day? Why don't you get together with your friends? And we were like, No, this is Friday during Lent. This is what we do as Catholics. We can always reschedule that event. It's not that big a deal. Um, But you're going to hear different things like that. People who are going to come in and and tell us that we're doing it wrong or the world is going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. Uh, And that's not necessarily the case, right? So we have to reevaluate that as well. Every time we have to reevaluate ourselves um, because it really comes down to we got to work out our own salvation, right? So uh, it's interesting when we think about that what's the purpose of me doing a Lenten sacrifice what's the pr- purpose of me trying to improve myself uh overall during Lent well it's really about me it's really about I'm going to face the Lord by myself um you know without the anybody else there and I got to start to decide gosh what what does that mean you know if uh, if we look at Philippians there's a great uh uh bible passage it makes you think about that philippians 2 chapter 12 uh, chapter 2 verse 12 it says um therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and that was uh Uh, Saint Paul telling us that in the the book of Philippians, you got to work out your own salvation. Why? Because our relationship with Christ is very individual. This is why I can't tell anybody what to do or give up during Lent. Um, Nobody can tell me what to do. My relationship with Christ is an individual relationship. I don't know what everybody else's is. I do know that we follow all the general tenets of the relationship with Christ. Uh, And so we can't really rely on what the devil's going to say or not or excuse me what the world's going to say or not say i'm getting ahead of myself here because remember i said during the sunson season it's going to be the flesh the world and the devil as always and that's the next part you know that's the next part that we got to look at which i want to get to before the end of the show because um that's going to be the bigger part uh of all this We're, we can be our own worst enemy that's for sure the world is going to try to uh, move us away from um from our journey towards christ and that's for sure too that's that's just going to happen but it's the world of flesh and the devil and the devil's going to do it as well well let's look at what happens if we're going to start to follow christ um and as we start our luncheon journey give me one second here there was i lost my my note page that i had ready to go but how do we know that that's going to happen well it's very simple It's like Jesus tells us, whatever the world does to me, they're going to do to you. Do you think you're greater than the master? Um, Not quite, right? So this is what happened to Jesus when he started his Lenten journey, shall we say, right before his ministry, right? As he was preparing to do the work of God, um, I'm sure it was hard for him to understand this is what I got to do, but I got to move forward. But let's read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This is what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So remember, where is he returning from? He's returning from the Jordan. He was just baptized. Jesus said, you know, he's going to start his mission. He got a baptism. Weren't we all baptized as uh, Catholics? If we're going to say that we're Catholics, our very first sacrament that we're going to receive is baptism, no matter what um so as soon as we're baptized we actually start our mission that's actually kind of when we started our lent if you think about it even though we start celebrating lent once a year we start our lent just like christ when we were baptized because christ when we when we think about lent it's going to end with easter which is the resurrection we started our lent when we were baptized up until our moment of death which is going to be our resurrection hopefully with christ Um, this whole time that we're on the earth is our lent it's our 40 days But let's read on this gospel and see what happened to Jesus when he started his mission. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on the other hand, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test. He departed from him until an opportune time, meaning that the devil's going to come back, right? But this is what's going to happen to us, folks. This is exactly where you start your Lenten journey. The devil's going to start tempting you. The devil's going to start wanting to tempt you. The devil's going to start wanting to take you away from that because he's going to say, It's too hard to follow Christ. Really, at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is follow Christ, right? That's the purpose of if I'm going to give up chocolate what does it have to do with me following Christ? I'm going to give up chocolate, and how is this going to bring me closer to Christ? I'm going to decide to not gossip, and how is this going to bring me closer to Christ? It's not just about improving myself in today's day and age. We have a lot of self-help books, a lot of ideas of how do I improve myself? How do I improve? My, how do am I a better version of me? And it's all about me. Lent is all about how do I get closer to Christ, which means how am I going to improve myself so that I'm getting closer to Christ? It's a tough question to ask, and it doesn't have an easy answer, again, because your relationship with Christ is very individual. Only you can answer that. Only you can decide that. When we are tempted, we are tempted alone. Yeah, it could be a friend tempting us or something, but the decision and the choices I make at that moment are strictly mine and mine alone. I can't point the finger at anybody else for the most part if I wasn't pressured into doing something. If I did something out of my own free will, I can't say this person made me do it or that person made me do it. I got to realize, hey, that was all me. This is, this is the best version of myself right now. Those are the decisions I'm making. Well, as we do that, here's what the devil's going to do. This is a good guide to see what the devil does, uh, especially if this is the way he tempts Christ. Of course, how much easier is it going to be to tempt us in the same way? But the first thing he tempts Christ with is command this stone to become a loaf of bread. When we are hungry, that is when the devil is going to come to us. When we're hungry, physically hungry, believe it or not, this is why we fast. We force ourselves to fast. If we're physically hungry, it's never good to make a decision. I always tell people, don't make a decision if you're hungry or you're thirsty or you're tired. Um, but we're going to get to the tired in a little bit. But literally, if we're physically hungry, if we're feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. How many times do we say, don't go shopping if you're hungry? Why? What happens? If you start going shopping when you're hungry, you're going to start buying things you don't need. You start just absorbing things because you need to consume something your body's asking you to consume something and it can be very easy to confuse physical consumption of the body as in food as in hunger with material consumption oh i'm gonna buy this i'm gonna buy that or you start buying so much food that you don't need at the grocery store because you're so hungry that everything looks good but you gotta take that step back and control that hunger this is part of why we fast right, and then we're going to look more into this when we come back from the break All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about Lent, our Lenten promises. What does that look like? But really, more than anything else, what to expect once we embark on this journey. And the first thing that we're going to need to realize, expect, understand, um, and it's just going to happen is once we start making that decision of, hey, I'm going to live a good Catholic life. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to try to do my best to be one with the Lord. I'm going to go and pray before the tabernacle every day. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to worry about other people. I'm just going to focus on getting closer to Christ myself. Boy, you just, we set up a big target for ourselves in the underworld because the devil's going to say, hey, you think you're going to be good? Oh, you think you're going to be a good Catholic? Oh, you think you're holy now? Let's see how holy you really are. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be tempted. And guess what? Why does why would God allow this? Because God wants to see that too. He's saying, hey, you really want to join me? You really want to come up here? Okay, let's see if you got what it takes. God loves a good fight. God loves to see put up a good fight, make, make it so that, you know, it's not easy. You know, how many times do we love to see in these movies? A lot of times, boxing movies, Rocky just comes to mind all the time. The classic boxing movies, you know, the fighter, the underdog, he's getting beat up good, but he keeps coming back and eventually either wins a fight or earns the crowd's respect. And really that's what it comes down to. Lent is just going to be one gigantic spiritual battle if I'm going to improve myself because the world doesn't want me to improve myself my own temptations don't want me to improve myself, and the devil definitely doesn't want to, me to improve myself towards Christ. But let's look at how Christ was tempted and then understand what's gonna what kind of temptations we are gonna face. Now we can easily say, well, gee, Dr. Sandoval, I don't think the devil's gonna ask me to turn stone into bread, right? The first temptation was if you are the son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Remember it says that Jesus was famished, he didn't eat anything for 40 days, he was starving at that point. Who wouldn't eat anything that's in front of them, right? we know that St. John the Baptist in the desert was eating grasshoppers, right? Why not? Because you're hungry. Um, At this point, though, the devil tells him, hey, you're so hungry and you're the son of God, which means you're all powerful, right? He's taunting him. Um, He's saying, and because he didn't want to serve him, let's remember why uh, the devil fell to hell in the first place. He didn't want to serve Christ, right? Non serviam in Latin. I'm not going to serve. He didn't want to serve christ so all of a sudden he sees christ down and out he sees him famished he sees him tired and he's like this is the person i was supposed to serve let's see what you're worthy of let's see what i was going to serve because I can't forget the level of pride that the demon has um so he says if you are the son of god command the stone to become a loaf of bread and what does jesus say to that what do we say to that you know gosh i'm gonna give up chocolate during lunch. <gasps> oh my goodness look at this there's a box of godiva chocolates or some Ferrero Rocher over there Oh, just this one? Do I give in to it or do I say, "No, nah, I think chalk of my soul is much more important than chocolate? Jesus says uh, to him, it is written. The first thing we need to remember there is Jesus says, it is written. What is written? Where is it written? Who's written? Well, what's written is one does not live by bread alone. Where is that written? Christ himself, being God, turns to the Bible. He turns to Bible passages. He turns to scripture to say, How am I going to battle the devil with the truth? And where do I find the truth? If I'm tired, if I'm hungry, if I'm down and out, the first thing I got to train myself to do is head to the Bible and feed myself spiritually. We got to remember... There's a reason why we do uh, the Liturgy of the Word before the Liturgy of the Eucharist during Mass. Why do we do the Liturgy of the Word? Because it's spiritual food. You know, The same way that we have the physical spiritual food of the body and blood of Christ, we have the spiritual food that comes through the senses, through our ears, from the readings, the gospels, the epistles, the Old Testament readings that we have, Jesus is feeding himself spiritually as we should. If I gave up some kind of a food item during Lent and I'm tempted and I'm hungry, or Fridays during Lent when I'm tempted to have that piece of meat, why don't I open up the Bible and see what is written? So it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Jesus is talking here about life. There's so many, there's so much depth on what Jesus answers right there. Uh, we can't possibly get into it here. But if you think about it, Jesus is talking about life. One does not live by bread alone. And bread, looking forward, Jesus is the bread, the life of the world, the Eucharist. You know that he's talking about the Eucharist. One does not live by just bread alone. The bread has to be transformed into his body and blood of Christ. Okay. So that was the food part. And he says, no, we're not going to play that game. I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat anything. You want to challenge me. I'm going to challenge you. This is where Jesus says to us during our Lenten season, if you're going to be challenged on your Lenten seat on your Lenten promise, what are you going to come back with? What is it that you are going to uh, attack back with? Remember, if we're going to be attacked, what are my defenses? What's my sword? What's my shield better be the word of God. How do we know that? Because the next temptation comes along and the devil tells him, Hey, To you, I will give all the glory. Remember, he shows them the kingdoms of the world. To you, I will give all the glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Doesn't the devil tell us to do the same? How many times do we hear about people who say, yeah, I ended up becoming very rich. I had a lot of power. I had a lot of fame. I had a uh, I was in the movies or I was in, you know, this business, uh, venture and I became very powerful. And, uh, but i you know, I ended up having so many women, I cheated on my wife. I started doing drugs now because I became so powerful. How many times do we see that with the rich and powerful and you just see all these things going on in the background? You know, it's the same thing here. The devil's telling Jesus, Hey, I've got all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you. They can all be yours, but you have to worship me. How do we worship the devil? By making money more important than those around us, by making uh, power more important than our family members, by uh, giving in to the temptations of the flesh, that is really how we end up worshiping the devil, if you will. You don't have to necessarily join the church of Satan or the devil or anything like that, God forbid, Uh, but... You know, those are the simple ways that every time we sin, we start, you know, turning our hearts towards the dark side. Uh, And he's telling Jesus, hey, just get down and worship me and all this material stuff will be yours. Well, I think that that's all too common for us We see it happen. The question is, how do we respond to that? Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That's what it comes down to. Instead of turning my heart to the things of the world during this Lenten season, I need to say, where is my heart? as far as is it looking towards Christ? Is it looking towards God? Am I deciding to let everything material go the way Jesus tells us and only worship God? And worship really means where is my heart? Is my heart turned to God? Is that what fulfills my heart? Or is my heart fulfilled with hopes of winning that lottery? Don't get me wrong, I'll buy a lottery ticket. But once I win that money, does that mean that I'm going to stop going to mass or that I'm not going to focus my heart on God first? What if all that money goes away Then all of a sudden has my heart shifted? If it does, we've got to ask ourselves, where was my heart to begin with? And That's really what Jesus is telling us. Keep your heart with God. So the first thing is he looked at what was written. Let's look at the Gospels. The next thing is let's keep our heart turned towards the Gospels because when we start reading that, uh, our heart really becomes that one with Christ. And then let's look at this the last temptation. Um, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. The devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, telling him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. So now the devil is saying, hey, you came to me with what was written at the beginning. You want to play that game? You want to play the gospel game? And then the devil says, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Well, what irony here that someone who used to be the angel who was going to be commanded to protect him is now trying to hurt him. Isn't that ironic? The other thing is he's tell- challenging him and saying, really, you got all these angels on your side because I'm no longer on your side. I used to be an angel on your side. I'm no longer on your side. What, where are these angels coming from? I thought you were the all-powerful God. I thought you were the all-powerful son of God. Aren't you the son of man? Aren't you the one who is coming here um, to be taken up to heaven? And what does Jesus say to him? So, you know, the devil's going to come to us with what's written. This is the same way that if we look at the world the way it is. You're going to see people trying to challenge our Catholic faith and trying to challenge our beliefs by saying, by using the Bible against us, by using Bible verses against us, by using our own beliefs against us. That's what the devil does. He gets crafty. Um, And what does Jesus say? He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Because he said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil finished every test. He departed from him until an opportune time. So again, Jesus comes back with the gospel readings or the biblical readings. Jesus comes back and says, we're not going to play this game. You're going to try to throw truths against me? Well, I'm going to show you the real truth. I'm going to show you the way that you're supposed to read this reading. Don't try to read the gospel to make it fit your own agenda. Don't try to read the Bible reading, the scriptures to make it fit, to make your life easier and say, oh, you know what? I like that one because that means that I can have a whole lot of money or that means that I can actually do things that to the rest of the world are bad, but for me are good. Um, We can easily play those games, but that's not what Jesus teaches us Jesus says hey take it for what it is read the read the scriptures for what they are and understand and follow them for what they are don't try to twist them to make them something that is going to make your life easier make your life adjust your life to the scriptures even if it means that your life is going to be hard because it doesn't say here that gosh once the devil left to took him at an opportune time um, then all of a sudden jesus said okay whoo devil's gone now i can party it doesn't say that at all all of a sudden at that time you know if we keep reading the gospel reading um the devils came and t- oh, the devils excuse me the devil went away and the angels came and tended to christ at that point so the angels are just waiting there watching our battle the same way they watch Jesus. They're just saying, Hey, keep going, finish every test. Don't get lazy. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him. There's going to be multiple tests. There's going to be multiple ways that we are challenged. So let's not forget this Lenten season. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's, what's going to tempt us. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, how do I know that it's the devil? How do I know that it's not just myself? I found this good article. It just, uh, Touched on a few questions uh, from the book. I always like to, whenever I read about anything on deliverance or anything like that, I always like to go back to Father uh, Gabriel of Morth. He was the Vatican's exorcism for a long, uh, chief exorcist for a long time before his passing. Uh, May he rest in peace. Um, And one of the important things and the reasons that I like reading uh, his works is because a lot of times nowadays, Deliverance, exorcism has become a little bit trendy, and there's so many books coming out on that. Well, Father Amorth was doing this before it was trendy. In fact, it was almost like an embarrassment. You know, people were always uh, making fun of the Catholic Church for it, or or, uh, for the idea of exorcism, or trying to remove the demons from our lives. Um, And he was doing it when it wasn't popular. He was doing it when he said, look, this is just part of our Catholic tradition. Um, even though the world doesn't want to think about it uh, and we're made fun of for it and we think that it's antiquated and sometimes uh, even some people in the church were embarrassed by it at times um, and hollywood took it on and turned it into this fantasy horror show but When we come back from the break, what I want to do is I want to look at a few uh, passages from this article, and I'll put the link for this article here under the show, uh, from the book that Father Gabriel Amorth wrote. It's called An Exorcist Explains the Demonic. And this article just takes out a few questions about who is the devil? What's it all about? Why is this important to read? Not because we want to give credence to the devil, but like Sun Tzu says in The Art of War, you do have to know your enemy and you have to know what you're up against. all right folks welcome back to virgin most powerful radio you are listening to the dr louis sandoval show today's show we're talking about Lent. we're in the we're in the early stages here the first week of Lent, and we're asking ourselves how are we doing with our resolutions what is it that we are doing in our lives individually to get closer to christ to be better catholics it's challenging folks it's not easy you know we have to face our imperfections and that can be really really hard it's hard to look in that mirror and say Gosh, I haven't always lived up to the tenets of the faith. I haven't always lived up to the articles that I find uh, in the catechism of the church. I haven't always lived up to the Ten Commandments. I've made excuses, really, to be able to sin or to do things that I know aren't with our uh, in line with our faith because it felt good or because it was easier or because I needed comforting or whatnot. There's so many re- different reasons that we do this, um, that we end up sinning, that it's so beautiful to have a Lenten season to actually look at that. One of the things that can happen, though, is that we can feel very, very alone in that, and we can feel very lonely, and we can feel like I'm the only one who has ever sinned. my sins are worse than anybody else's. And if you look at the lives of saints and you look at different people, when they talk about their sins, they're going to say, each saint is going to tell you, I am a worse sinner than you are. I am the worst sinner in the world because I know my God, and I still sin. I get closer to Christ, and I still sin. I am There is no worse sinner than myself. Um, everybody feels that way, and if you're feeling that way, you're in good company. Why do we feel that way? Why can I say that everybody's going to feel like they're their own worst sinner? More than anything, because we have that individual relationship with Christ, and that tells me that we love Christ so deeply and God so deeply that when we look at the reality of our soul and what heaven is, we don't want to have even one iota of a blemish before we get there. That's what Lent's all about. Let's get rid of those blemishes and let's realize that we're not alone in our journeys. But as we do that, we're talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's make sure we're not our own worst enemy for sure. Let's not listen to the world much. We got to keep going down our path uh, individually, regardless of what the world says. The Catholic Church isn't always about making the world happy. And lastly, let's look at this: um, Who is our enemy? We talked about how the devil tempted Christ on that mountain uh, after he uh, on Mount Tabor after after Jesus's baptism. Well. We're going to start on our journey we're going to be tempted as well but who is this enemy so again i'm getting this article uh from uh online i'm gonna put the link to it on our under the the video here but let's look at this. this these are just a few excerpts from the book an exorcist explains the demonic from father gabriel amorth the vatican's chief exorcism prior to his passing recently We'll start with this it says the pride of lucifer and his acolytes God, in his infinite power, created multitudes of angels, an impressive, incalculable number. One day, during an exorcism, Father Candido Amenti, who was uh, the mentor for Father Amorth, he's the one who taught him how to perform exorcisms, he was a passionate, passionist priest, so focused on the passion of Christ, said that he asked a demon, how many are you? Uh, so, Father Amanti asked him this the stern exorcism, and the demon responded, We are so many that if we were visible, we would obscure the sun. The demon on that occasion gave information that we have no reason to disbelieve because it is confirmed in the Bible. A great number of the angels fell because they rebelled against God. We recall that before admitting the angels to paradise, God subjected them to a trial of obedience and humility. Isn't that what kind of lent is for us right now? It's just a trial of obedience and humility of which we know the nature, but not the specifics. The sin of the fallen angels was one of pride and disobedience. Satan, the most beautiful of the angels, being aware of his extreme intelligence, rebelled at the idea of being subjected to someone. He forgot that he was a creature made by God. Many angels followed him in his folly. The original sins of the angels are the same as those who implicitly or explicitly adhere to Satanism. Angels and men who follow Satan base their existence on three principles and practical rules of life. You can do what you wish, that is, without subjugation to God's laws. You obey no one, and you are the God of yourself. And really, folks, this is what we're trying to fight here during this Lenten season, where I can't do what I wish. You know, I uh, do have to obey God. And only God is my God, I'm not my own God. It's just the complete opposite of what we do uh, in our Catholic faith and in the way we follow God. So what happened between the angels is narrated with the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. There was a great war between the angels who remained faithful to God and those who rebelled against him. In brief, a war between the angels and the demons. In this passage, the Bible tells us that Michael the archangel was the head of the angels and that the dragon guided the angels who rebelled and were defeated. The result was that there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and that's from Revelations chapter 12, verse 8. Well, it's a little spooky, right, when we start talking about deliverance, and we start talking about demons, and we start talking about what is all this temptation, but the reality is, if we understand that the demons have no power over us, that it's only God who has power over us, when we allow our will, our thoughts, our hearts to be with God, um, then nothing can hurt us. But here's an important question that comes up a lot, you know, we see that is the devil powerful? Absolutely. He still has his angelic nature. He still has the power that the angels have. The difference is he uses it for his own will, which tells me that if he's that powerful, my guardian angel is equally and not, if not more powerful, because my guardian angel is actually in the light of God and has the graces that the demons will never have. So I've got a guardian angel next to me at all times. But here's an important question. Can the devil read our thoughts? That's something that, you know, we look at because people say during an exorcism during deliverance prayers sometimes the devil's points out other people's sins there so they know what we're thinking well no the devil's always there when we sin because they saw our sins when we perform our sins it happened it hadn't happened before we we actually gave into it but they see what happened so there's that's a no-brainer it's not about reading our thoughts at that point other people we think that we're not there that we're all alone or that nobody's around us but we gotta remember heaven is always around us can the devil read our thoughts this is what father of has to say let's see what he has to say We have now arrived at the specific action of the devil, and we begin with the first question. Can the devil know our thoughts? Is he able to understand what we are thinking at a certain moment in our life? The response is simple. Absolutely not. The devil can never read your thoughts. He can surmise. He can guess because they're crafty. The same way I can guess somebody's thoughts, if I see somebody in line at a fast food place looking at the menu with money in their hands, I can pretty much guess that they're hungry and that they want to eat something. Why? Because I'm seeing what they're doing. Do I know what they're thinking in that particular moment? No, because I might think, oh, my goodness, look at what they ordered. They've never ordered that before. I didn't know that they liked that kind of food. And next thing I know, they walk out with that, and they give it to somebody who's outside homeless. Um, And I think, oh, I thought they were going to eat that for themselves, but I didn't realize they were there to buy food for somebody else. I can't read their thoughts. I can guess. Now, if somebody were to tell me, yeah, they bought the food, and they sat down, and they ate it themselves, People would say, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. They were there. But you notice there's a fine nuance there. I don't know specifically. I don't know exactly what somebody's thinking. I can kind of guess the general idea. But in this case, Father Amor tells us absolutely not. He says, theology is agreed on this question. Only God, who is omniscient, which means knows everything, who intimately possesses the secrets of created reality, that of men and angels, and that of uncreated reality, which is his own essence, which is God himself, Knows in depth the thought of each man. Although a spiritual creature, the demon does not understand what is in our mind and in our heart. He can only surmise it through observing our behavior. It is not a complicated operation for him, having an extremely fine intelligence. If a young person smokes marijuana, for example, the demon can deduce that the future he will also use stronger drugs. In a word, from what we read, we say and experience from the companions we choose, even from our glances. From all this, he can discern where he will tempt us and at which particular moment and what it is, and that is what he does. So, again, it's more a matter of the devil can see what we're doing. He can see what our actions are. He can see where we're going and he can figure out, ah, this is where you're at right now. Remember, the devil can't force us to do anything. Um. This brings to mind a passage from the first letter of St. Peter. Brothers and sisters, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. How do we resist the devil? According to St. Peter, this is from the first Peter chapter five, verses eight through nine. We have to resist. There has to be a fight. Resistance is a fight. It's kind of like when people uh, go to work out and they want to lift weights. What they'll tell you is the scientific term is. Oh, you know, put more weight on that? That's the gym term. The scientific term is you're going to increase your resistance against your muscles. It's a bigger fight. It gets a little bit heavier. It gets a little bit harder. You have to resist the devil. My interpretation of this passage, says Father Amorth, on which various scholars are agreed, sound like this. Brothers and sisters, be vigilant. The devil wanders around each of one of you searching where to devour. That word, where, is important. The devil looks in each person precisely for his weak point that works on it, creating his next sinful occasion. It will be the targeted person himself who in his liberty will commit the sin after having been well cooked by Satan's temptation. Remember, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be very subtle. Um, and what the devil's going to look for is our weak points. So during this Lenten season, the whole purpose of if I'm going to give up chocolate, how is that going to strengthen my weak points? But a better question before I even ask myself that is what are my weak points? We have to come up and face this reality that we do have weak points. It's hard for some people to accept that. It's hard for some people to say, oh my goodness, I do have a weak point I need to improve on. Because we like to think of ourselves as perfect. It's just human nature. I like to think that I'm a great person and that there's not a whole lot I need to improve. But there's always something to improve. There's something I need to improve in myself every day. And if it's a challenge, then it's a pretty good sign that that is a weak point. And it's going to be hard to overcome. But if I don't, the devil's going to look at it and say, ah, this is where you are weak, this is where I'm, I will attack. But don't we do that too? If I'm in the middle of a fight on a video game, I'm going to see where is the weakness in that enemy. I need to know how to attack that enemy, right? It's a it's a normal uh, common thought of any kind of battle. I got to look for the weak point so I can get in there. If the devil is going to look at our weak point, we got to understand the devil's weak point too. And you know what would be a very, very weak point for the devil? And how he could read our thoughts if he wanted to at that moment and then be fine. If I'm going to go sit in front of the tabernacle and only focus on Christ and tell Christ, Lord, I am here to serve you at whatever level you need me to serve. Boy, the devil's going to run away from that. They don't want to see that. They don't want to know that. They want to know that, you know, that that they are the powerful ones. The demons are powerful and they have something over us. But if I give my will to God, if I die to myself, there's no way that they're going to be able to attack us in that moment. Let's see here. The most frequent weak points in man are, from time to time, always the same. Pride, money, and lust. That's what Father of says. Pride, money, and lust. Let us, let us note well there are no age limits for sinning. When I hear confessions, I often say to my penitents, somewhat jokingly, that their temptations will end only five minutes after they have exhaled their last breath. Therefore, we must not presume or hope that in an advanced age we shall be exempt from sin, which means that you know, our Lenten promises, it doesn't matter how old we are. As long as we're on this earth, we're going to be tempted. We're going to have weaknesses and we're going to have sin. But what that tells me is this, you know, that sounds pretty grim. Like, oh, geez, Dr. Sandoval, we're just going to be tempted the whole time. Yes. But what that tells me is this. It tells me that we also have the power to do a lot of good. It tells me that we're in the battle the whole time. It tells me that no matter how old we are, we can, we're actually very powerful in the eyes of God. And our decisions really mean something. Think about that during Lent. When we start saying, yeah, but they're younger. They can make these things. Nope has nothing to do with our age. Even Father Amor tells us that. We can always do good at any age. Let's see here. Therefore, we must not presume or hope that at an advanced age we shall be exempt from sin. A vice that is cultivated in youth will not be lessened in old age without some work and intervention. This is important. During this Lenten season, all I would say is this. Understand that we will all get better together but understand that it will be a battle. It's the devil, the world, and the flesh. Don't let the devil be your biggest source of fear or your biggest idea that he's the biggest enemy. Really understand the power that we have when we fight our own insecurities. We can move forward and we can be strong. We're not gonna listen to what the world has to tell us. And we definitely know that we're gonna fight the devil with the word of God and getting closer to the Eucharist. Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.